This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey, hello everybody. My name is Jan and you're listening to the Langpreneur podcast. Really good to have you here with us today because I'm going to be talking to Katie Harris of Joy of Languages and we're going to be talking about language retreats. What are language retreats? How do they work? And should you organize retreats for your clients? If you are a language teacher or if you have an online following, organizing retreats could actually be a very good supplement to your additional product to your business and in this interview here we're going to learn why uh, how you can organize these retreats how you can sell them how to find good teachers for your retreats and we're going to give you more tips for those who are interested in organizing retreats for their students so guys are you ready to learn more about organizing language retreats then Let's get started with the interview. Here is Katie. Katie, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about how you fell in love with languages or maybe more specifically with Italian. And um, yeah, tell us about what you do with Joy of Languages. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I, I was born and I grew up in the UK, which is, um, as you know, not very well known for... Um, Learning language. languages. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I had exactly the same problems as everybody else did um, at school. I did five years of German and just ended up remembering random vocabulary, like mm. uh, Taschenrechner yeah. calculator, I think. <laughs> uh, and I kind of, I, I grew up with the same belief that I see most English people have, um, most of my friends and family, that languages are just extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. Mm. Yeah. And I just kind of ended up, because um, I, I did a year abroad in, in Italy uh, mm -hmm. when I was in my early 20s, but even then when I, I, I'd done two years of Italian to kind of try and prepare for it mm. um, at university and yeah. still was really stuck in that languages are impossible I'm not a languages person kind of mode mm -hmm. um, but when I got to Italy I I was really really it was really important to me not to go back after the year just um, having been friends with the international students and not having learned any Italian or connected with the Italian culture at all so I kind mm -hmm. of really 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 forced myself to actually just start speaking to people mm -hmm. even though extremely extremely awkward um i made lots of mistakes. give us an example what what did you what did you do for example just approaching random people on the streets and making <laughs> big mistakes or <laughs> so i was um i was really um sneaky about friends how i made friends ah. um, i tried to avoid because i noticed um you know there's the um I think particularly, it's possibly even worse as a native English speaker. Wherever you go, everybody wants to learn English. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I just avoided those people like the plague. <laughs> ah, yeah. And I tried to, um, at things, you know, when there were events and when there were other students, I kind of almost actively seeked out people who didn't seem particularly interested in learning English. Mm -hmm. um, and then that, that 
allowed me to kind of communicate with people in a more natural way because it, it wasn't so awkward with you know if I knew their English was a lot better than my Italian and that they wanted to speak English that suddenly made it embarrassing for me it put me in an awkward situation mm-hmm. to have to speak Italian um, whereas trying to find people who were lovely and wanted to connect with you know foreigners visiting their country and they wanted to speak to me but they weren't necessarily interested in speaking in, in English mm-hmm. um, those kind of people actually also had um, similar kind of personalities, a, a kind of personality, the sort of person that I wanted to get to know as well. Yeah. Um, so that's how I did it. That didn't mean it was easy. It was very awkward at the beginning. Sometimes I felt like I was um, making life very difficult for everyone, like I should just go back and hang out with all the American students because maybe, um, you know, having a conversation with me was so difficult at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of pushed through that stage and then eventually, as you know, the more you do it, the easier it gets, the mm-hmm. easier it gets. And after a few weeks, uh, sorry, a few months rather, um, I found that I could converse in Italian well enough to not make it difficult or awkward for the other person. And from then on, it just got easier and easier. Yeah. And so you became really good at Italian and then I guess a few years later you also decided to move to Italy to work in Italy as a language teacher. Can you tell us a little bit about your background as a as a language teacher? Uh, so it's, I think it's quite interesting because um, yeah I, I find it very funny to think that I ended up being a language teacher after what I was like with languages at school hmm. but it was I think that experience in Italy just showed me how how fun learning languages can be essentially mm-hmm. you can you can do anything to learn a language you can listen to music you like you can find books you like you can um, watch films and things like that so um, and I also had some nice experiences of some fantastic fantastic Italian teachers when I was in Italy mm. and just watching them work I found them so inspiring and I thought oh that, that would be fantastic to do his job uh, so as soon as I I think moving back to Italy was kind of um, becoming a teacher I did think oh that would be a fantastic career move for me but it was also something that I wanted to do because it enabled me to move abroad and move back to Italy mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and yeah so I, I kind of I moved back to Italy I started working as teacher so teaching English to Italians mm-hmm. it's just it was just a fantastic job essentially your my job was to help people to communicate um, mm-hmm. and and I think when you teach a language when when you um, focus on communication which mm-hmm. I guess is, has been happening more and more over the last kind of 20 years or so mm-hmm. You, you often get to have this nice experience, which is what I had at school, where it was um, taking people from trying to learn a language by like memorizing lots of grammar and vocabulary to actually just trying to get them to speak, uh, mm-hmm. maybe even banning the native language in the classroom. So they have to use it and they have to communicate. Yeah. And all of a sudden that actually starts to work. So people start to be, feel quite satisfied with the progress they're making. Mm-hmm. And it's more fun as well because people are coming in and talking about things that they enjoy and it's just a nice um yeah kind of fun and effective at the same time and that's nice to be on both sides I think both as a learner and as a teacher yeah cool 
Um, you also run Joy of Languages. Do you want to talk a bit about that? What is exactly what you do with um, your blog? You also have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about how you help people learn Italian um, with this platform. Um, so, it's, so Joy of Languages kind of, um, there's two sides to it, I suppose. There's a side of it um, of me learning languages and talking about the process of learning languages because after I found an enjoyable ways to learn Italian by talking to people um, I realized that I enjoyed learning languages so I went on to learn a few others and then I talk about that on the blog mm -hmm. um, but in terms of actually providing content to learn a language um, specifically um, we we're mostly focusing on Italian so we've got a podcast five minute Italian mm-hmm where that's very kind of aimed at um, native English speakers or people who are very comfortable with English and then moving over to Italian because we look a lot at the you know, Italian and English is so similar so we kind of look at how you can take advantage of the English you know to help you speak Italian more easily and remember things more easily mm -hmm. Um, and then, but that's very, so the podcast is very much um, talking about language, yeah. um, talking about Italian, um, a little. Um, in word. Italian or in English? Uh, so it's in, it's in English. It's in English, okay. Uh, they're mini lessons, um, kind of five minute mini lessons in English explaining mm -hmm. a phrase or something like that in Italian. Mm -hmm. um, and then to kind of balance that out, we've also got um, Easy Italian, which is a YouTube channel where we go out and we interview Italians on the street so that people can see um, real Italian, the way that people speak it naturally. Yeah. I've watched the videos. They're fun. So for <laughs> the for the listeners, uh, maybe you know that there's a, a YouTube channel out there called Easy Languages. And Katie is actually their contact person in Italy. So Katie would go around the streets of Milan, interviewing, um, well, locals basically, right, in Italian. So make sure to check that out as well. Um, Easy Languages is, yeah, quite a popular language learning resource. It's completely for free. And if you want to learn Italian, you can also see Katie. So make sure to check that out. Um, so you have a podcast, you have a blog, and you, are also, um, you also help Easy Languages with the videos in Italy. Um, yep. Those people, those people, they go to your website and then, um, well, I guess they opt in on your mailing list. And yeah. um, you also organize, um, how do you call it? You call it immersion vacations, right? Tell yep. us a little bit about what that is exactly and how did you get to the idea of organizing these working, or oh, sorry, immersion vacations? So, uh, so the idea is just to really focus on on communication again. So to give pe people come um, from from all over the world, and then they spend a week with us uh, in in Italy. Yeah. And we've done. Um, so the idea is to kind of replicate the experience that I had with languages, which was I felt like I was banging my head against a brick wall just. Um, memorizing rules and things like that memorizing rules and words but I, I still couldn't have a conversation after two years of classes yeah exactly and then when I, I came to Italy and I did some classes with um so going back to those fantastic teachers I was talking about before um where they really I had one very extreme teacher who had um we weren't allowed pens and paper in the classroom mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was just chairs in a circle and she forced us to speak mm-hmm 
And and after that experience, I had um, it was suddenly like as though I, I kind of needed that experience to grab all of the grammar and all of the expressions that I've been learning mm-hmm. and practice using them in conversation. Yeah. So after about a week of that, I found that I could suddenly, you know, I was I was still slow, I was still making mistakes and everything, but I could actually, in, in a week, I kind of went from just having bits in my head but not being able to speak at all to mm. being able to start to have simple conversations. Yeah. And and so that was exactly what I wanted to do as soon as I started um, creating language learning experiences for people. That was exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to yeah. recreate. Yeah. So that's what we do with our immersions. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was the same thing for me. Like I learned English in, at high school for like, I think it was like six or seven years. And by the end, when I graduated, I couldn't speak. So I went to Costa Rica for three months, but I mainly, most of the time, I would hang out with other Dutch people. And um, even after a three-month stay abroad, I was still not very good. But then a few years later, I went actually to China. I started learning Chinese from scratch. And within five months, I was holding conversations with, with people. And why was that? I was surrounding myself with native speakers and I was using Chinese all the time. And I really had the feeling that within exactly what you said, like within a week, I had made more progress in Chinese than I learned to speak Chinese in five months while it took me eight years to, to learn English and English is much much easier, right? I think there's so many people out there who study the rules, who learn the words, who study a language at school, but they forget to do the most important thing, which is actually to practice your speaking skills, at least for those who want to learn how to speak, right? So, yeah, you're, so you're giving people a real opportunity there, maybe people who have learned Italian in the past, people who know the rules, um, but have never spoken so much Italian and you give them the opportunity to come to Italy yeah. and then have like a week-long immersion and yeah. um, Speak Italian with each other and with the teachers or how does it work? Like do you hire teachers or what what, what does the program look like? Yeah, so um, I hire a I, I speak Italian um, Reasonably well because I've lived there for many many years, but I hire a native speaker as well Because um, that kind of gives it a nice balance. I, I'm coming from where the students are so I can mm-hmm easily put myself in their shoes and, and explain things um, but it's also of course I kind of feel like I need a native speaker referee sometimes as well yeah, yeah. especially for the higher levels um, so I hire a, um, a teacher mm-hmm. and uh, as you know well Stefano yeah from- yeah we both know Stefano he's a good friend of mine indeed um, yeah he's a very good I can imagine he's a very good teacher to have uh, on the team very enthusiastic <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, um, and it's and that's important as well because especially with this kind of thing, we're not just giving people language learning materials; we're giving them an experience. So people, um, you know, you spend a week with people. It's amazing. After after the end of the week, people end up. Um, I mean, we did it as well. You almost have like tears in your eyes because you've just been with someone yeah. in such an intense experience for a week, and you've never seen them before, and you might never see them again. And it's kind of so. It's really nice. I think um, it's important to have. Uh, positive and uplifting personalities around to make sure that everyone can have a really good experience. Mm-hmm. So what does the program look like? Like, what, what do you do in that week? You're just sitting in the apartment speaking Italian all day long or you go out there <laughs> visiting? Um, so we go out, we do, we do sightseeing things as well. Where, did, um, where does it take place, by the way? Uh, so it, it depends. Um, we did well, different places. Uh, okay. la- last year we did Florence. Um, this year we're doing the lakes. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of 
change a little bit. Um, although I think we'll, we'll probably try and uh, set up kind of trips so that then they're repeatable because obviously one of the most time and resource intensive things is, is finding the places and then um, deciding what to do. So if you can kind of get a model that you can repeat as well, then that's always really useful. Yeah. And do you like speak Italian all the time or is there like, a, it's also like, how do you call it, like off time, like the time, like in the evenings, for example, do you say, okay, now you're allowed to speak another language or is it really Italian so, only? So for us, um, so we have, people have breaks that um, they have breaks during the day where they can go off, obviously, and, you know, call their families okay. and things like that. Um, and, you know, they, they don't have to speak Italian then. Yeah. Uh, but, but when they speak together, um, they're never allowed to speak to each other in, oh, in a language that's well. not Italian. Well. Um, but I, I think that's very dependent on the audience because um, I know other people who run retreats and, and possibly the people who go might not respond so well to, to that. So I think it depends very much on um, you know, everybody has a different audience and a different kind of thing that they yeah. that they're that mm -hmm. people want essentially that their students want so it's um it's really important i think to think about that when you're decide when you're making these kinds of decisions yeah so who is your audience for example like what kind of people do you attend these these events uh, like so younger we, people older people and what's like the italian level are they already i guess they're already intermediate or what's what's their level um so it depends a little bit um we have uh, so <laughs> one thing that's really interesting which we didn't really realize you know a lot of the marketing things say oh you have to decide a, a, you know your target yeah. customer and then um our target customer kind of came out by accident when we realized when we saw who who were signing up yeah which is baby boomers so oh, really? okay. people who have um they're just coming they're just becoming pensioners now mm. uh, but it's uh, i think it's a really exciting time to be a pensioner <laughs> to be honest <laughs> Um, yeah, because you are offering these programs, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're so, so, so interesting because they're not, um, you know, when, when I work with people, um, if I speak to the accommodation and I book things and I say, oh, they're mostly pensioners, you know, you expect like the kind of people who go on cruises with hair rinses and stuff. Mm -hmm. but, um, actually, they're, they're kind of, it's the generation that were hippies in the 70s and they're, they're very young and they want to do... Um, they want to do alternative kind of travel. Mm. That's interesting. Many learning languages as well. Yeah. How did you get to the idea of organizing these retreats? Was this like, do you like where you was your audience asking you for this, or was it like did you see other people doing these retreats? Or? Um. So I think so. It was something that I had thought about before. Um, so I had it in my mind, um, and then I did see, yeah, kind of a couple of other people started doing them as well. So um, you must know Kirsten, right, who does the German ones. Yeah. Um, I was talking to her when she was setting up her German one, and I kind of, I said, this was a couple of years ago now, and I said, um, oh, I've been thinking about doing something like that for Italian, and she kind of pushed me, mm. said to go for it. So um, the good thing about immersions as well is they're um, they're very it's very easy to test the idea. Um, yeah. It's not like, uh, they're pro possibly one of the easiest things to test the idea without investing a lot of the time and resources first to see whether your audience would be interested in that. Because mm -hmm. really all you have to do is, um, you know, put together an email 
Mm-hmm. So you, because you can organize a lot of the things afterwards, just so long as you, you have to do a little bit of research on pricing and things like that. Yeah. Um, but that's all you really need to do beforehand. Most of the work is during the immersion. Yeah. So what what are like the prices for these kind of of retreats? Like what what's like the what are others or what are you and others offering? What can I think about? Because you know here we talk about <laughs> at the Langpreneur podcast we also talk about the business aspect of of these yeah. things. Like are these events is it is it worthwhile from a business perspective as well, or is it just something that you find fun? Uh, so for me, it, it is worthwhile on a business perspective, but it has to be um, combined with, um, I, I find it works best combined with online courses. Mm. Um, because for example, um, so the amount that we can earn from a week, if, if we could do 52 weeks a year, yeah. um, then we'd have a fantastic business. Yeah. But it just, uh, it requires so much energy. Um, it's one of those things you kind of um, you feel like you need a few days off beforehand and, and a week off afterwards, yeah. maybe even more. Um, so, it, but I, f- I find it's something that combines very well. So, if you have a business, um, for example, you have online courses. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a very nice thing because it's nice to to actually meet your students as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. It's an opportunity to really get to know your students and really understand what the struggles are, what they want, and then maybe even create well, even better. Pro or more products for these people. Yeah, like you really get to know your customer avatar. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you kind of, I mean, during the week, you, you actually become friends with them as well. So it's there's no better way really to, to kind of deeply get to know your customers. And I, I have noticed that actually since I've been doing these, everything else has become easier because I just, um, I guess marketing materials give you this advice to kind of imagine the person Mm-hmm. that you're writing to and yeah. that that comes so naturally now um so tell us exactly how do you how do you sell these kind of retreats do you sell these over your mailing list or do you sell these to your exist, existing students or how do you that's the idea or what's the key here what should the people be focusing on is it they should focus on the mailing list first because that's how you sell or how do you do it um so we we do it um I focus mostly on the mailing list yeah. um, because the first time we did it, I didn't really have any any um, online students as such. We just had the mailing list from the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's still something that we do now. So it's mostly via the mailing list. But then we also um, re- repeat. We have um, quite a high percentage of repeat custom as well because as I mentioned before everyone gets to know each other so it's nice to get together again mm-hmm. um, yeah, a combination between reaching out to previous customers and then selling via the mailing list as well mm-hmm. how many of these events could you organize per year without because you just said it's like it's very intense it's not something that you can do every week is it something that you could do like every like four times per year or something exactly yeah I think that's um, that's Probably, yeah, I think between two and six times a year. I wouldn't do more than six because I think I might um, end the year with a lot more gray hairs. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think kind of up up to six, it, it's probably doable. But again, I think that really depends on, on how you do it as well because um, it, it depends on your audience and it depends on your the, the service you provide to give them exactly what they want because some some audiences, for example, you know, there are, there are some online businesses that focus exclusively on 
grammar. So, so I can imagine the kind of, I can imagine that kind of retreat you mm -hmm. could do with workshops and things like that. And it could be totally different. Like you may not have to worry about providing uh, accommodation and all of that kind of thing. So that could be something that is similar within the structure, but it could be something that um, you could repeat more. So I would say really for this kind of thing, it, it just makes sense to look at your audience or the audience that you want, um, what they particularly like about you and your lessons and the content you give them, and then to think about um, how to create that experience. And it, you know, it could be one that's a lot less labor intensive than mine, yeah. for example. Yeah. What are some of the lessons that you have learned so far by organizing these events? Like, were the things that you didn't know in the beginning that you're doing differently now, for example? Um, so I think as we go, I, th I think they're mostly just things that naturally come out from, from doing them. So, you know, the sort of start small and crappy and then yeah. uh, you have an idea of how you want things to, to be, but you just have to kind of get started. So um, things like the first couple that we've done, the, probably there were one or two too many students. Um, the accommodation wasn't as good as it could have been. Um, so that's something that over time it gets easier as you make contacts with people who organize the accommodation and things like that um, to to just increase the quality a little bit but that's something that takes time because it's not as I mentioned before sometimes you just need to get started and if you wait until you've already built up those relationships and everything it, um, mm -hmm. it gets more difficult um, yeah. but, and the, the other thing I would say is um, one thing I had no idea about um, when I first started was the the legal side of it and the admin side mm. um, because it's, I think it's very different to, to doing an, an online course in the fact that you have to, um, there are so many more things that could go wrong and, and you actually have a lot, lot, lot more responsibility because people are not just spending the money that they pay for your immersion, but people are buying flights, yeah. travel insurance, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also, if, if you do something where you provide accommodation as well, you're essentially classed as a tour operator. Yeah. So then you have to think about things like uh, tour operator insurance, getting terms and conditions checked by solicitors, um, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. which is definitely, definitely doable. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just something that I had not thought about at the beginning. And then I just I'd kind of had to do that alongside everything else. And it was all a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Do, do you have like a resource or is it like a website where people can learn more about the things that they need to think about if they organize retreats like this? Like you mentioned, for example, tour operator insurance. Yeah. Um, like, is there like a resource out there where, where you have like a list of all the things that you need to think about? Or? Um, so I'd say the thing that was most useful for me operating within the EU mm -hmm. is um, there's something called package travel regulations. Yeah. So you can look at that and that that's um, quite a clear um, maybe I can I can send you the the link to the yeah sure that, that um, way I will add them in the show notes mm -hmm. perfect because that kind of that's fairly it's not too much legal jargon and it just helps you figure out where you stand so whether you have to fit in with the package travel regulations or not yeah. um, so for example if you were just doing something that was like a workshop where you weren't offering accommodation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even maybe looking at these could help you decide what type of package you want to offer as well, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and then it also helps you, it, it lays out your rights and, and their rights. And, and so that also helps you to put together your terms and conditions as well. Yeah. 
Well, that's 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 good to know. Um, so we have many like language teachers, uh, also course creators who are listening to this podcast, and they might be thinking, "Hey, this is actually a pretty cool idea." But um, yeah, should I do it or not? What would you would you recommend other teachers or course creators to do this, or only if they like from a financial perspective, for example, or for a, for a better engagement with the audience, who would you recommend to organize this kind of activities? Um, so I would say from talking to other people who do similar things, most people I think um, who, yeah, lots of people who I talked to just immediately like, no, you know, that sounds fun for you, but just no way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I think, you know, obviously if you have that kind of immediate reaction, then that's great. You you already know um, that it's not for you. But I think if you're thinking about it, maybe one thing that's really good, as I mentioned before with this, is you can just, um, it's very easy to test the idea mm-hmm. on your audience um, just by doing a little bit of research on accommodation and, and then putting in an email together. Yeah, you can just send out an email and see if people buy it, if they sign up. And if they don't sign up, then... Then, then you just don't book the venue, right? Or you, or you cancel it if that's still possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there are think you know lots of um, lots of accommodation places you can just uh, you can just uh, like you you get a full refund maybe. So even some people don't feel so comfortable uh, testing it by trying to sell it, send an email, um, but if they don't have anything booked because it, you know, it feels like, oh, but, you know, people buy it and then I don't have anything organized. So that could be another option. You could actually book something and then know, well, if nobody goes for it, then I can, I can just cancel the booking and I won't lose any money. Yeah. I think like quick testing, I think is the key to everything. Like what we do, right? The same, like when you create courses, you first want to validate your course. You want to make sure that people are actually interested, that they buy it and only then create the whole course. So first do like a a beta launch where you only create the first two modules and only finish the rest on the go as the program is, um, is going on basically. And here it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very simple to do. And I think especially, um, yeah, if you have a look again, kind of look at um, the the package travel regulations and stuff, and there may be something that you can do with that where you don't fit under it. So then that just becomes very, very simple in terms of just sending out an email and then seeing what people say. So it ends up becoming, it's a, yeah, it's a nice, mm-hmm. you only have to do all of the work if people buy it. If nobody buys it, then you're fine, which yeah. is exactly it's the best way to validate an idea. Mm-hmm. How do you find good instructors who, um, so uh, who join you? How do you find good language teachers or instructors for these, uh, for these retreats? So this is interesting because this is actually something that I'm asking myself now <laughs> um, because I've done them. So I've done them in other languages as well. I've done them in Spanish and in both cases, um, with the Italian one and the Spanish one, I've been lucky enough just to work with friends, yeah. uh, friends who are extremely, extremely good at their jobs. Yeah. So, so that's just it's just been very, very easy. Um, but in terms of hiring people that I don't know, um, that's something that I'm still considering myself. Mm-hmm. In, um, because you know, in the future, there could be options as well to to hire somebody to run. You know, if you start this kind of business and it goes really well, you could even end up hiring people mm-hmm. to run it when you're there. And yeah. so, so that's definitely something that you'd have to 
think about. Mm -hmm. So the people you've been running these events with so far, the, the instructors, the language teachers, you say these are your friends, but yeah. where, where do you get to meet them? Because maybe that's uh, the starting point. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, um, <laughs> uh, so I met them at uh, the Polyglot Gathering and yeah. Polyglot Conferences and those kind of events. Yeah. Well, that might be a good tip, I think, for those who are looking for, um, for language teachers or for... I mean, I also, like here on the, on the podcast, we talk to, to language course creators and, you know, sometimes they ask me the question, Jan, but where, where, where do you find, like, people to work with? How do you find, like, good native speakers who create your courses? And I think that many of us in our industry, um, like, the people we work with are actually the people that we meet at, at these kind of, of language events. Eh? I, I think yeah. that's, uh, that could be a good starting point for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I com completely, completely agree with that because um, that that was one of the things that was going through my mind when I was thinking about, mm. um, for example, hiring teachers, or also for for online courses as well in in different languages. Yeah, um, that Thanks. would probably be my first go to um, for finding people to collaborate on immersions and courses in different languages yeah I guess if you really need to find someone you can just go to Upwork you know it's for a short-term project for a translation or maybe audio recording but yeah when you do these kind of events where you meet you know where your instructors meet with your clients in person you want to make sure that this person is aligned with with what you do right and I think the only way to do that or yeah. to find these people is actually in a yeah and in a natural way by going to these events by becoming friends uh, that's not really I don't think there is something that can replace that so. yeah definitely and it's especially especially with this kind of event because you're you're there in person and, and lots of things go wrong so mm -hmm. you really need to be working with somebody who um, who solves your problem rather than giving you another problem yeah and that's that's how I've been very lucky I've always felt like that with the people I've worked with so far they've um, you know problems that have come up and everything they've just made life so so much easier for me but they're not and they're, they're the kind of people who are not really easy to find just by putting an ad out on the internet I think mm -hmm. how many participants can you host at, at, at your events or at, at one event so for, for us we're actually gradually reducing the number um, mm -hmm. so we started with um, I think the most we've had is nine, um, but now we're capping it at six. Okay. Um, but again, that that will really depend on the kind of event that you do. Yeah. Um, I, so some it could even make sense to have a, a smaller number. Some it, you, you could potentially uh, have a much bigger number. So it, again, it just depends on your audience and the kind of thing they want. Yeah. Can you can you share some of like the success stories that you have had with your students? Like, what is like the, the big result that? What's like the value that you are offering here? Um, so I, I think just the that experience of having they they come on the first day and they're they're all really shy, which is totally understandable because I'd be exactly the same in the same situation. Mm -hmm. um, and then by by the end especially we usually go for breakfast that's the last thing that we do and on the last day and it's just like hearing people it's become so natural to speak in that language even if um even for the lower level ones where it's still a real struggle um within that context mm -hmm. it's just become so natural to communicate in that language and it's so nice seeing individuals go through that as well for example i, I had a student who was um very, very shy, and she, she'd done lots and lots and lots of um, 
studying so she'd done so, so she knew a lot but she still she was so blocked with speaking and then as time went on kind of the first couple of days she was go, speaking more to the students and then another day came, and she was actually approaching us and other people and starting conversations in Italian and that was just um we, we get that quite a lot and it's just so nice to see yeah well if if you have for the listeners, if you have a language course, if you are a language teacher and you have an audience, because I think that's the key here, without an audience, it's very hard to sell something. But maybe you're wondering, I don't know if my audience is big enough. I don't know if I could organize something like this. Well, as Katie said, this is a business idea that's very easy to validate. You can just send out an email, ask who's interested. And if many people react, you could just ask them to make a payment and then only organize the whole thing or actually book the venue once you have um, once you have the money and as Katie said it might not be for everyone because yes it's a you know I can imagine that can be a little bit stressful sometimes Um, yeah eventually you are responsible for all those people flying to well your country or the country that you're at or that you're in Um, but as Katie showed us the results can be really transforming and I think that can be a very good thing um, very good for your brand as well. Um, any other things that you want to add to that? Any other tips? Any other experiences that you want to share? Yeah. Um, so I, one thing that we have we found as we go along is that um, interestingly, often the the things that are the cheapest for us are the most interesting and exciting for the students, which oh. is obviously great from a business point of view as Give well. Give an example. We want to know what, what those things are. So, um, so for example, um, so we went to Florence and we went to, you know, we did all of the things that you can't go to Florence and not do. Yeah. Um, but, but the thing that everybody enjoyed the most was we went to a little um, monastery mm-hmm. um, and it was that was kind of the, the cheapest thing on the, the, during the whole week, but that was the thing that everybody really loved because they felt that it was um, at least my audience and I think the age group and everything, people really liked that experience of feeling like they were doing something a little bit off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also spoken to um, Elfin from All About Italian. I don't know if you know her. She no, I haven't she, heard about her yet, but I will take, I will check it out after this, <laughs> after this interview. <laughs> um, so we were talking because she she hosts um, Italian retreats as well, and she was saying about um, how when when she was hosting somebody, she was worried before they came, and then actually um, the the thing that they were most excited about when they arrived was that she was boiling the the water for the pasta because it was like oh I'm in Italy and my Italian host is making pasta and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the things that you, you might worry about because they seem boring for other people yeah. could actually be the things that are the most exciting for the students. So I think it's important to make sure that you um, think about that as well. Um, so what are those little things that might, yeah, don't feel like you have to constantly provide like entertainment and that everything has to be really exciting because for them, the things that could seem really mundane for you are actually really exciting. Mm-hmm. As they are for me when I go to different places. Mm-hmm. Is it is like organizing these retreats? Is that also a way to to like do you also do people stay with you? I mean, like, do you get new customers from it as well? People who want to take lessons with you, for example, or um, is that we, not really something that you focus on? 
so that that has come out a little bit um, every now and then. But it's not something that we've focused on as as a model. We've mm-hmm. usually tended to do it the other way around. Yeah. Uh, so where we we getting people kind of uh, people are doing courses with us online, and then um, then they want to actually come and come and learn with us in person, which is lovely. Mm. Um, but it has happened a little bit the other way around. But it's not something that we've looked at that closely. Yeah. So you're organizing these retreats for Italian and then on your website I also saw that you're offering this for Spanish and French. Are you organizing these events uh, yourself or are you doing this with others, with other, with other teachers? Um, so this is something where I, I always collaborate with native speakers. So in Spain it will, I'll be collaborating with a native um, Spanish teacher and in mm-hmm. France with a native French teacher mm-hmm. as well. But you're organizing these events yourself? Uh, in terms of the organization, yeah. more or less Yes, um, but I like I like to involve the teachers a lot in the um, in the organisation mm-hmm. as well because it just feels it makes more sense, um, particularly with the ones that we'd um, we've already done in terms of the sort of um, relationships that we had, and um, it just made more sense to do it as a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I and I think I like that. I think I would definitely keep that up because also. You know, it's just, it is a lot of responsibility. So it's nice to feel, even though ultimately the responsibility is mine and, and it, the responsibility is of my business if something goes wrong, it's just nice to feel, to, to start off involving the teacher a lot as well so that it feels like something that you're both working on and collaborating on. Yeah. Well, Katie, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom here, sharing like the experience that you've had organizing these events and really give the people some insights about you know, if it's something for them and if they think that could be something for their audience. You also showed a bit or you give them some direction on how they can organize these events themselves as well. So really thank you for sharing that. Um, if people want to know more about you, where can they find you? Uh, so they can find me on joyoflanguages.com. Mm-hmm. And if they want to join one of your retreats, they can also go there. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you can see um, there is a, um, at the top, you'll see there's a, a link. I can't actually remember the, the, the exact word it says, but you'll see it's something linked to... Vacations. Emotions. I think you caught, I just checked it out, vacations, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we may be changing that at some point. But um, you'll go on there and you'll see there'll be something linking to the to the holidays anyway. Um, yeah. yeah, so thank you very much for having me. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.